Brothers to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, welcome back to the worst rugby season of all time. <laughs> um, we're going to start by talking about Ireland's dismal performance at Twickenham on Saturday. And I'm going to ask the question, why were they playing? Ireland's World Cup preparations have been... Do the prep, uh, how much the uh, preparations, you know, have a direct influence on what happens at the tournament? How much does it look, you know, back through the prisms of result? Uh, Neil Francis celebrated, famously talked about uh, preparing in Kilkenny for the South African uh, World Cup. So they were playing in, in uh, Kilkenny, being below sea level and playing their first match in Joburg, which is one of the famous altitude uh, test venues. Uh, that was in 1995. It was the end of amateurism. Did things move on? Uh, Ireland went to Spala, which looked like an inspired decision in terms of preparation and training. But you can't do Spala for your stomach. And I, it was something, I remember, Hugo, you were, this is before the World Cup in 2007. Uh, and you came back from a wedding. I think it was Leanne and Dave's wedding down in Cork. Mm. And you'd been talking to a dietitian on the absolute rip about the Irish lads going over to Spala and that one of the defining characteristics of that trip was the lads had to eat like eight to 10,000 calories a day and train all the time and they could do this because they were being cryogenically frozen. And he just said, there's no Spala for your gut. But he, he might have been more scientific. You might have summarized it, there's no Spala for your gut. So that was another preparation. And now, uh, but Ireland then played the Italians in Belfast. They played... Uh, the Scotland. Battle of Bayonne, they played Scotland. And I think I think all World Cups, certainly for, for our generation, are viewed through that prism of immense disappointment of 2000 in France. So you're sort of going, right, well, let's play proper test matches rather than, you know, play, play matches against teams that are like, you know, the Welsh third string or the Welsh, you know, like have just landed back from Poland that week and they send out the third string to play us and like, you know, our seconds put 50 points past them. Like what's, what's the value of that? So you want to get, a, you want to get a proper hit out. Um, you want to play full paced matches. And I think this is, look, this is characteristic of, of decisions made all over the place, all over the world that like a group of people sit in a room, they make a decision about what has to happen and how much bearing and relevance that actually has for the, the feet in the ground is like a different matter altogether. But you've made your decision, you've got to go through with it, you've, you've got to make it based on a number of parameters. So Ireland wanted a proper test match intensity hit out. I'm not sure what the revenue share is. I'm not sure if you play a match against Twickenham, like who keeps all the money. So I don't know if England go, right, well, like, you know, we'll, we'll sell out Ireland. Like we, we get 80,000 people playing a good whack and we give the Irish whatever amount, like, you know, whatever, maybe that, maybe, maybe we get nothing. Maybe that's just Twickenham that fills its coffers or maybe we get sort of a reciprocal arrangement in four years time and, you know, and Sterling's worth absolutely nothing. Maybe they um, promise us 300 million a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the side of Clive Woodward's bus. So look, that, that, that's what I think. 
Yeah, I recall <clears throat> in 2011, we, we played five games in the warm-ups. We played a, a mid-week fixture against a Connacht selection in Donnybrook, which I went to. Um, and, you know, there's certain games which stand out in your memory because of one performance. I think I've talked about this before. It was a game in which John Hayes looked old over overnight. He played against Rodney Ayew, and Rodney had him on toast, which was like sort of a sad way to go for one of the greatest ever servants of Irish rugby, but similar thing happened uh, in 2015. Dars was still in contention to go to the 2015 World Cup. He played in one of the warm-up games. And I don't remember many plays from that game, but I remember uh, my reaction at the end of it was like, Jesus, there's no way he can go to the World Cup, even as a sub, even like you wouldn't even call him up. You know, that's sounds incredibly harsh, but I think it's, it's it was a very apparent and practical reality of it. And he wasn't the only one. Like Tomas O'Leary played two of those warm up matches in 2011. Oh, he played played, himself off the. We we lost to Scotland 6 10 of the 6th of August. We lost to. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen. France in Bordeaux. We lost that was France good in Lansdowne Road. Dreadful game. We lost England in Lansdowne Road, which is the one that Wallace Wally got, got injured. injured in. Yeah. And that was on the 20th. Felix Jones got injured at home against France. Mm, 27th of August, we played England. And then the 11th of September, we played America. Oh, we were very poor in that game. Taranaki. And Taranaki. Danaki. Danaki. Um, so... We lost all our warm-up matches. Tomas O'Leary started two of them, um, played himself off the plane, heralded in Conor Murray. Luke Fitz played himself off the plane um, as well. And David Wallace played, started one of them and got injured, famously, mm-hmm. tragically. Um, so, does that give us any guide to... No. But John, John Hayes, as you say, like John Hayes didn't play any of them. John Hayes had played... Uh, John Hayes hadn't started like Mike Ross had started that year's Six Nations um, John Hayes had played his last match against Samoa and Kidney obviously went back to the well to see if Hayes had anything left to give but geez like poor John Hayes looked knackered the previous Six Nations against Scotland late 2010 so you know so just judging in terms of recency bias there's a lot of a, like chaos and shit games in all of these warm up for everyone. for everyone and like if we're just looking at everything through the lens of 2007 and how badly that went uh that ignores the fact that the 2011 and 2015 group stages went perfectly. Yeah. Other than the fact in 2015 we were like, we had suffered so many injuries and the suspension from the French Freak game. occurrences though. Yeah. Um, freak occurrences in, in that last game. You can't, like you can actually game plan for that to a degree, which is what you know, I think everybody would appreciate that Schmidt has been trying to do. Um but to lose that many players, uh, Payne was actually injured. I, I'd forgotten this. Payne was actually injured against Romania. I thought he was injured later on. He didn't play against Italy. Yeah, like we say it went perfectly. We beat the Italians 16-9. And in a, in we laboured to beat oh. the Italians 16 And the Italians played really well. In the Olympic Stadium. In the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Um, like they knew what they wanted to do against us. They'd, they'd obviously targeted the match from from months months out. Yeah, definitely months out, like maybe maybe years out. And uh, we hadn't, and then we played France in one of the best games I've ever been Oh, at. super game. Loved that game. We were there. Uh, we were there together. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was brilliant. So 
So you can't. What, what do you not play uh, World Cup warm ups for? Guys getting injured, or why do you play? Why but do you play them not to happen? What's, what's we the we have to. Northern Hemisphere teams have to play fixtures because they're not building on anything. They've had six six. Well, like if they didn't play them, it'll be three months since they played a game of rugby to get slaughtered. It's the nature of the the structure of the season, which is tr- makes it much trickier for an Northern Hemisphere side. Okay, but uh, just oh, let let me just chase this down. One last question. There's no warm-up games for the Six Nations. You're supposed to perform from week one. So, I mean, if we're going to play, we're going to need to play warm-up games because, like, in the Six Nations, you're in the middle of the season. You obviously got club games you can play. But would we not be better served by playing Tier 2 Nations and, like, having, and, like, you know, ramping up? No, I don't think so. I don't think, because there's a second element to it in which he's trying to select a squad. So if you play... Uh, again, for example, we played against Italy in one of the most f- forgettable matches I've seen in Lansdowne Road. The, the, the warm-up there just two weekends ago. You couldn't tell. That didn't tell you anybody about it. Yeah. Didn't tell you anything about any player. You know, and it wouldn't. If, if you'd played Italy, fucking Canada, and... Georgia. I mean, even, like, so, so you look at the Tier 2 nations and you go, who are they? And you go, Canada, America, Tonga, Fiji, Samoa... Ireland. <laughs> um, Georgia, very f- and like very few of them are in Europe, so they've, they've got to travel miles to get there, and you've got to cover their expenses to do it. Whereas you can play against, you know, England, obviously, but like say say you play against the Italians, and you you have to put the fixture in months out, and there's nothing you can impose on the Italians, and there's no guarantee that you can give to them as you go. Oh, we're going to pick our strongest team. You go, oh, well, of course, it's a test match. I mean, this is my strongest team. Um, they talk to each other apparently the coaches this is something which I only became aware of at the weekend like that they talk to each other about what sort of teams they're selecting it kind of makes sense it makes sense it does make sense I didn't think it would happen though yeah well I take your point anyway I uh, don't think they should be awarding caps for these games they should be Ireland 15 versus England 15 if you ask me Um, not yeah I Anyway, that's that's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Like the Wolfhounds play Mickey Steel Bodgers 15 type of stuff. <laughs> no, rest in peace. Marley, Marley Bone Cricket Club, etc. Um well let's get on to the let's get on to the question of the game itself. I was saying before the game that I I, I asked you would I would I put it on Twitter and say I think we're gonna get pumped really badly and all that matters is that no one gets injured. Um we got pumped way worse than I thought. I thought it'd be like 15 to 20 points, not 45 points or whatever the fuck it was. Um, some people got injured, but nothing seems to be as lasting even as Joey Carberry's six-week layoff. Mm. Um, so in terms of selection, what did we learn from that game? Ooh. Um, I think there's there's a sort of, I don't know, like a, a tolerance, a margin of tolerance. Let's describe it like that. That if Ireland had got beat by 20 points, in Twickenham and like say England had scored seven of those points in injury time. That would be all right. As long as nobody got injured. Seriously. But being beaten by that much, having like 50 something points put on you, like even even if you score 30 something, 
to bring it within that 20, you're still going, oh man, like 50 points is a lot to concede. I think when you see, uh, like, Jesus, what was the worst try? Personally, the Cruz try was the worst. Like, mm. I, I, I couldn't believe that he was even going to the TMO to show that sort of match. And it's like, like when you're there's sort of two things that it's like it's like when you're a kid playing underage rugby and one of them scores a try and it's just that like you haven't been exposed to that level of, of pace of play like you just you don't have enough rugby under like in your life and everyone's kind of playing the same stuff and kind of falling over each other and then one team starts playing properly and then like no one else has caught up to them and he just scores what is like a feeble try but like you're, you're not accustomed to it and then the other one is where you've got a big match coming up and fellas are playing not to get injured and it you just get to concede a really soft try like that. Like George Cruz is probably the worst ball carrier on the English team. Um and they have a team of big ball carriers. So like it, it's not like it it's it it isn't that much of a criticism. But the idea that he could score that try, like it was it was absolutely pathetic. It was it was feeble. And I think that was no one felt it more than Joe Schmidt by the look of things. Like you sent uh, Murray Kinsler's tweets today, um, recording this on Tuesday, that like Joe Schmidt had a presser on Tuesday and he never has a presser. And like, he went out and he like he he, spitting. He, he tore into them. He was still spitting three days later. Um, and geez, I can't even remember. Like maybe I just need to get that off my chest. Uh, sorry, you were, you were talking about like what happened. I was just, it was awful. Well, yeah, I was asking was, about in terms of what, what, what we learned about selection from that. Oh, well, I don't think selection is the selection is a, is part of the issue. But as there was a little preview for the second captains, and, and they say the, the hook line was doesn't matter who we select if we go out and play like that, which is the that's an absolute that's an absolute truth. Like there were so many errors across so many parts of the game that it was in, it was an incredibly discouraging performance uh, it really was you know if you think that there are certain issues which cropped up in the same against the same opponents at the start of the six nations which was namely we couldn't live with them physically like and again we were worse now that's offset by a different sort of tapering for through training that we're coming off this particularly heavy week, whereas they've been tapering down towards playing their last home fixture in their uh, warm-ups. Then aside from that, there's this absolute appalling defensive misreads, misalignments, mistakes, uh, which are happening throughout the back line. Barely anybody is absolved from those. Just an, like... Not only are they not able to live with England, they don't even know what they're fucking doing out there. That's what it looked like. I think, and the, the selection issue is that in a lot of positions, we have very, mm, in a lot of positions, guys play very poorly. So now the question is, can the guys who are their alternates in what is nearly a 31-man squad uh, after the after the Colts, can they step up? 
Because it's it's not just a matter of, oh, like, we'll throw somebody else in there. Like, I mean, the, the, the other person you might be throwing in might be too cattle. Like, he mightn't be prepared to step up. He just, like, he mightn't be capable of it. And, like, guys get very, I used to ask guys who were training in in rep squads, and, and like, particularly Leinster, guys, like, who's, like, who's, who's knocks heads? Like, who, who goes in and tears up? And it was because I felt that a lot of guys were kind of comfortable, like, they loved getting the tracksuit. They love training with, with Leinster. They love being part of mm. a, like a team that had like really high profile internationals on it. And the same names came back. It was like Trevor Brennan and Sean O'Brien. They get stuck into anybody. And that was it. Now, to, more or less, like I, I think things have moved on. I think things are more competitive, but like it, I think in any team, I think there's still a hierarchy. So, um, Let's say that CJ Standard played very poorly. And let's say that Jack Conan is an out-and-out out number eight. Can Jack Conan now deliver as the number one number eight? Because if Jamie Heaslip was there in the squad, you'd go, well, Jamie Heaslip is going to be the number one number eight after that performance by Standard. Because Jamie Heaslip is acknowledged by Ian McGeekin as a test match animal and all that goes with it. Like, and, and McGeekin used, I mean, that's McGeekin's phrase, test match animal. And I don't think it's one that he gives away lightly. I think it's, I think it's no, actually it's the highest plaudit. personal commendation that he can give you. Um, and for all the caps that Jack Conan has and for all the improvement that he showed last year, you're still going, are you a test match animal? Because I think like Steve Hansen said it, he goes, it's, it's tough being number one. He says, everyone's out for you. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about this. I, I read a book by The Secret Footballer. He, he's written a number of them. And uh, it was, this one was the secret footballer and the secret psychologist or something. Anyway, he talked about how he played in the premiership and how he never played for England and how when he thought about it, he went, Jesus, like, you know, if I'd, I never wanted to play for England when I was a kid. I always wanted to be a professional footballer. I always wanted to play at the highest level domestically. Like I wanted to, but I never really considered myself good enough for England. And then he'd sort of seen his opportunity go by and he'd pretty seen guys that he thought he was better at at a certain stage play, but he went like, I never actually thought I could play for England. And I, it was never an ambition of mine because I never thought I could. And it was, it was, it was an, it's an interesting book and it was, it was a very interesting insight. So you sort of go, what happens when you become number one in the world? Like, is, is that enough? Where Ireland ever formally number one? We were never formally number one. We beat New Zealand in a kind of a one versus two playoff. And since then, things went downhill. So, and you sort of go like, how do you, how do you, mo like, how do you motivate yourself? How do you get up? Yeah, I, I, funny. I don't think the motivation is an issue uh, for it, and that they're demotivated by having beaten the All Blacks. I think that uh, all of them, so many of the senior players, players who are normally in the leadership group or what we assume to be the leadership group, are feeling completely overburdened with pressure like this World Cup is going to define their entire careers which you know if it goes well it will if it doesn't go well it won't it's just another Irish World it's Cup it's just another World Cup it's just another tournament I think that uh, of course we want to do well in any tournament we enter but my thinking for Jesus since 2007 which is 12 years now is you treat it like a tournament you can't can't build to a tournament for three years out. That's just, there's far too many variables to take in. You have to try and hit the ground running, adapt to what's in front of you, and play form players. 
So the way I see it and the way I've might, I was really looking forward to seeing how this game went. And if Ireland were able to, the Irish team that was out there, which had 10 of the players who started against Wales in the last game, if they were able to draw a line under that Six Nations malaise and they clearly weren't in, in any regard. So that malaise has carried through. When I say malaise, it's how they play. It's not the result. It's the amount of mistakes, the lack of ability to stop England on the game line, the lack of ability to get over the game line, the lack of threat in the back line, the missed tackles, the appalling line-out shambles. That is still the same malaise. So my theory, I don't even think it's a theory, I think it's just an assessment of what's happening, is that the players who are underperforming the most are the leadership group. Best, Sexton, although he hasn't played yet, he did underperform badly in the Six Nations. Murray, Stander, O'Mahony. The only one in my eyes who is guiltless or is not particularly guilty is Rob Kearney. Who I think is is holding up his end. Um, the rest of them, they're, I think they're feeling overburdened with pressure and aren't dealing with it well. Self-imposed? C- completely self. Well, you, that's the thing, that's the issue. Like, Schmidt is putting pressure on them as well, but Schmidt has yeah, to put pressure yeah, on them. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's them all thinking this is going to define my career. Uh, and if you put that amount of pressure on yourself, like they haven't dealt with being you know, de facto world number ones in the aftermath of that New Zealand win at all well. Like they just, going into that Six Nations, nobody thought that this is a, people looked at it, I certainly looked at the English team and thought, she's lots of good players. I had no idea that they were going to hammer us and that was going to set us off in a very, very ordinary Six Nations. Like we won three games, which if you look at the results from those, it was as good as we could have got out of those because we had a lot of barely passing grades in our wins. We had a very good, a very, very good first half against France, a passing grade against Scotland, a passing grade against Italy, a fail against the, the two major teams, England and, and uh, Wales. Okay, so ultimately what we can say is we learned nothing about selection because the whole team is dysfunctional at the moment. I don't think we've learned nothing. I think uh, the whole team is dysfunctional, but my feeling is that they haven't you you they haven't been able to draw a line between the Six Nations and and this performance, and thusly there hasn't been a resetting of the clock. So the people who haven't been performing since the start of the 2019 season have played three or four bad games in a row and. That's it. Time to go. Yeah. So you lose your place. I yeah. Like uh, I, it's. I think I think your your verdict is is better than mine. I think it's that there's a self imposed. I think it's fairer. Um. I think there's a self imposed pressure that the leadership group have, have put themselves and but it looks like they're coasting. Like the, the, there's there's too many guys who are core that you sort of go. What have we learned from selection? You go. Well, all the guys who are playing really badly are the least likely guys to get dropped. That's that's what we've learned from selection. So yep. you're sort of going right. Well, like, what is Joe Schmidt going to do? Like, is he got, is he going to is he going to drop Rory Best? Is he going to have Best in the panel as like the squad captain, doing Andy Dalton on it, but like not pick him because his his lineup is really bad. Do you sort of go like again? Like friend of mine who's who's 
knows his stuff, who's really into it, goes, and has always given these guys the benefit of the doubt, goes, you know, I think these guys are big game players. They have to emotionally get themselves up for it. And you kind of go, that's a very, um, there's a lot of belief, I think, in in that response to players. Faith. Faith. Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe as a coach, you sort of go, I believe you're really good. You know, the, the arm around the shoulder, reading about like Guardiola and Raheem Sterling. Like, you know, you, you see, there's not that many sort of different um, scenarios. There's not that many different stories. It's that thing, there's only seven jokes, you know. So does Schmidt put his arm around? But he's he must be so disappointed because it wasn't good enough. Like it was, it was so bad. It was so inept. I go back to that cruise try. Like it's just, it's so fucking oh, bad. Whatever try you want, like you could go to the last try. The cruise tower over or a toe You look this way. I look that way. Let the fucking huge second row run between us. Yeah. So we haven't learned anything about selection is what we can say, but is there not also an element that like this team just peaked in 2018 and that's not something you can control. It was to do with the age profile of the players involved, the new people coming in, and the old guys at their at their last sort of last height. No, I think that you can you can have one session, you can have one training session that turns everything around. Um, I think if you've if you've got the guys, have to have the ability. On your, on your team. Um, so you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear type of thing. Uh, but there's good players in that team. And if they click, so I think, I think the thing with the tournament is you don't have to be the best team in the world. You have to play the best at the tournament. Like you look at World Cup finals and 2015 is a bad example because I think the two best teams ended up in the final. Um, Australia haven't beaten Wales in England in, in the Northern Hemisphere to get there and obviously like I think that New Zealand 2015 team is probably the best team ever um, but in 2011 like France were shambles if France if Tonga hadn't got beaten by Canada France would have got knocked out in the groups in 2007 England were shambles they got was it 36-0 36-3 36-0 36-0 beaten by South Africa forgotten in that. both finals Teams could have won it. So we're not we're not even talking about like teams having bad warm-ups and then like we're talking about teams having like bad World Cups and possibly winning the final. And South Africa lost by two points to New Zealand in the semi-final last time around. They're beaten by Japan. Yeah, so um I don't I don't think that the I don't think that the team has peaked. I, I think that these things all get judged by results and by perspective. So if Ireland do really well, if Ireland were to win the World Cup, people will look back at that Twickenham match and they will write a story about how it was uh, a catharsis, how it was a crisis point, how the team bounced back. If Ireland have a shambles of the World Cup and lose to Scotland and or Japan, people will point at the fact that it was in a malaise. It was obvious at the beginning of the year when we lost England at home, uh, got absolutely smashed by Wales and just got worse. We and all try and make sense of things. You all try to it put into a narrative, narrative and that sort yeah. of stuff. So, where does it leave? I think that Schmidt, who I always thought his his weakest point of his game as is as a selector, and I don't I don't think he's 
I think the appointment of Farrell was very good for him, particularly with Paul O'Connell going, because he needs a big... Uh, Schmidt is like part of the ultimate technocrat, and he's like, he's really, really intense. So getting a really sort of charismatic guy as a sidekick to bring that, like that mana, to use that New Zealand term, um, or that Hoyle, like that that's a good call from a coaching ticket for him. But it's kind of like, it's not his job to bring it. Like that's Farrell's fucking job. It was Paul O'Connell's job. Um, so like to, to put in such a flat performance, like it isn't really... Like Schmidt's just going to give out to them and make them feel worse. <laughs> like and maybe, and maybe that will inspire them, but maybe it won't. You know, like just everybody walking around in eggshells while Schmidt tells them that they're shit for this, that, and the other. Mm. Um, but I can just see it. But so where am I? They won't hear. His, his problem, they won't hear from anyone else. <laughs> his, his problem is that can he bring himself to drop guys? Can he bring himself to to mix up the team like? I look at Gaddy and I go, Gaddy would br- drop in six guys in training and he put the arm around the six guys he's bringing in and he'd tell them that they're brilliant. And because they're Welsh, they'd believe him. Anscombe, and Anscombe was, like, came from nowhere to oust Dan Bigger. Yeah, to but become that's a, not, not the first time that's happened. If you look back in 2011, uh, Rhys Priestland got his first start in June against the Barbas, June 2011. He played two games off the bench previously in the Six Nations. Played the next two games of starting night half and went into that with, you know, three, his third start, no, his fourth start of his career and his sixth cap was in the first game of the World Cup against South Africa. But look look back to 2000, like, I'm trying to remember the chronology of this, but like, wasn't Ashton? No, hang on. Who did, who was in charge when we got hosed in Twickenham? Was it, was Gaddy in charge when we got hosed in Twickenham in? My year. I'm trying to remember the year. And then he dropped everyone for the Scotland match and he picked like Stringer. So Gaddy was in charge. Gaddy was in charge. Yeah. And what was the match then that heralded the end of Ashton? I don't know whose game plan they were playing, but it wasn't mine. It was, an, it was another one. hammering against, yeah. and then Gaddy was dropped in. So oh, maybe he's getting beat by someone. I can't remember. Like, the, but the, like, the performance in Twickenham was as bad as something that's nearly 20 years in the past. Like Ireland haven't... Ireland have had a few shockers... 2012 was a bad one remember Rossi got injured yeah but you could kind of point to a single thing and like you know the wheels had fallen off ready a bit but like it was just 2008 also sucked fucking ass oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? ah yeah but like you know again like we we were really reliant on like Drico in particular yeah, and, and Paulie to a certain extent he wasn't there right? so like Ireland Irish rugby has been on a, like a pretty steadily ascending upper graph certainly if you average out mm-hmm. and that match was so bad um so where does it leave him? It just it leaves him in a tough place selection wise because he's not very. It's well, it's yeah, not as it's but, not as it's not a strong point. But you know, there's also situations like he picked Henshaw at fullback against England, uh, which was a brave decision, which a lot of people, including us, wanted to see. Well, including you guys, I wanted it. Um, a lot of people received very favourably, and you know it didn't pan out, and most people don't go. Yeah, I wanted to see that. I was wrong. To just go, oh, Schmidt never picks anyone else. You know, he does pick anyone else. He was the guy who picked James Ryan for Ireland before he played for Leinster. He was the guy who decided to bring Jacob Stockdale to Japan ahead of, for example, Adam Byrne or Sweetenham, both who'd had very similarly good seasons. I think Adam scored 10 tries that season for Leinster. He said Stockdale next year, 
Stockdale scored 10 tries for Ireland. Um, he's a guy who gave Larmer, uh, put him in, you know, in his first season as a pro. Went from the academy, basically, into being an international within the same season. Um, similarly with Porter, he started Porter against Wales in 2018 instead of yeah. starting John Ryan. So he does, like, occasionally make very brave selections. But he, I think he's made those selections before from a position of strength. Um, whereas now he is making them, he's got a lot of people underperforming. Some of whom, at exactly the moment, he doesn't want them to be underperforming. There's never a good moment to underperform. It'd be worse if they started underperforming in a quarterfinal. I haven't played brilliantly up till now, but you understand what I mean. Like, Roy Best is a real concern. Roger's giving out about people being ageist. And how many times has Roger Federer been written off? Roger Federer doesn't play a fucking team game. Roger Federer plays for Roger Federer. It doesn't matter if other people write him off. He's not letting anybody else down except Fedco or whatever he owns. FedEx, I think it's called. Um, you know, Rory Best like looked as fit as I've ever seen a 37-year-old hooker look. He looks as fit as a fiddle lying down for the anthems. One of his worst games I've ever seen him play. He's like, Rory probably played his best rugby in 2011 through to 2013. He was savage in the 2011 World Cup. Remember he came back with a miracle from a serious neck injury. Yeah. Like he was everywhere in that. Handling, jackling, everywhere. And he's just, like he got a, he got a run and he banged in when I bumped into Ben Youngs at the end. Josh van der Fleer hit Rory Best as a clean out. He hit him harder than Rory Best had hit Ben Youngs. You know, in the carry. Like it's looking. I would bring Rory Best because I don't think we're well served. And I would just go hooker by committee. Like you would think is, is a rational thing to do when we don't have an outstanding number one. You pick the horses for courses selection. Oh, we're going to need this or that in this game. We need a scrummager here. Grand, we need pop off the bench here. Grand, we're going to need leadership in this game. That's what I do. But to be honest, he's not. He's, he should be as as unrounded his replacements are. Roy Best just isn't playing well enough to start in the team. Um, <clears throat> just something I said a couple of times in previous podcasts, I think probably during the Six Nations when we were kind of losing, um, faith. losing faith a little bit. And it relates to something you said about like poor performances in World Cups by certain teams and how it can change around. The other thing about losing to England by 50 fucking points is it doesn't actually fucking matter in the World Cup. If we play England in the World Cup, we'll be in the semi-final or the final and we'll be fucking over the moon, right? We have a three-test series, effectively, against Scotland, Japan, and probably South Africa. Maybe New Zealand, but probably South Africa. Yeah. And if you took that as your November and you're like, we can win three of those. Now, I wish we'd had it two years ago. Now, as it turns out, South Africa have 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 gone from zero to sixty in like no time whatsoever. And you're now looking at it going, if we were to get to the quarterfinal and losing the quarterfinal to either New Zealand or South Africa, whichever one is lost to the other one in their pool, you're going, well, what can you fucking do about it? Depend, you know, it depends on the manner of the defeat. 
that I've already envisaged in my head <laughs> that, <laughs> like I'll, the rest of us. that I'll be at. <laughs> um, but, you know, it'll be another quarterfinal defeat. But, like, if it's another quarterfinal defeat by New Zealand, you're going, like, well, you know. We haven't been beaten by New Zealand in a quarterfinal yet. No. No? Anyway, what I'm saying is losing to England essentially, in terms of performance level, doesn't actually mean anything. We're, we're not going to blame. No, the performance no. level does mean no. something. Or, sorry, in terms of the individual matchup, I mean, rather than that, that it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, we're not going to be playing in the World Cup. We're not going to be playing a team that good until the quarterfinal. Yeah. I, I think my, my, my concern is that the guys who should be playing well aren't playing well. They're either not playing or they're not playing well. Like there was no Robbie Henshaw, there's no James Ryan, there was no Johnny Sexton. You're sort no of going, else. Hmm, heck, heck, none of those guys are playing. Are they all injured? Uh, are they just not telling us how badly? Because like, look, guys, and then you sort of think, well, guys are guys are injured all the time. Uh, and this you, is the tournament that they want to play it, so they're going to yeah. play injured. Uh, would you rather they were left at home, those four guys? And you go, no, none of those four guys. I want them all there. Um, and then you sort of go, right, like they can play. Just the the problem is that because it was so bad, you sort of got like, how how do they get themselves out of it? Like how. Who, like, who stands up, and how does he, how does he manage it? So, one of the things we we talked about was um, during the match was oh no one's talked about Ireland's most enormous pack of all time and the possible back row. Like, do you in one of the warm up matches you're asking like what are they for? Do you just go oh, screw it? Like you know how, how how much worse can it get? I'm going to play a back row of Tyburn, Ian Henderson, and Jack on. I'm going to go like, you know, I, I'm going to say that Josh van der Fleer is my obvious open side because we only have one. And I'm just going to pick an enormous back row. I'm going to pick a second row of Devin Toner and James Ryan. And I'm just going to go, do you know what? We're not going to be out muscled. We might be yeah. out done in all these other things. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. That's I think such a that's, good idea. It gives such a narrow focus as well. Sorry to cut you off. It's such a narrow focus. Just like go out and be more physical than them. Like give, don't go like, oh, what move are we doing? What's our fucking defensive system? Just go, go out and be fucking huge. And, and all that so, second, that other stuff would be secondary. You just say like, we're, we're going to go into a match with four line out options. We're going to go in with our best Jackler playing at open side, exactly. regardless of whether he's ever played there. And we're huge. We're, we're not going to be beaten at... Uh, in, like at a physical and do you know what like all the other shortcomings is like yeah fuck it like I mean you know <laughs> we play a game where we're consistently sending forwards to run into people we took the field on Saturday with a back row which since CJ Standards decline started incredibly rapid decline unfortunately at the start of the season we didn't have a single back row who could get over the game line in any situation in any situation. CJ only got the ball in 80 minutes. He only got the ball five times. As a, as a number eight. As CJ Stander. As CJ Stander. It's like someone had kidnapped him. Like, Jesus, like, I mean, whatever you say about CJ, he keeps turning up. He is. Like, he's one of the bravest lads in rugby. But uh, he's just... So look, he's I, just not there. So, I think... Sorry to cut across you. I think... What are you looking for from a seven? Primarily now, you're looking for a guy who's really good at the breakdown. It's Ty Byrne. You know, he's a good handler. We've all seen it. He can move a bit. Like he's not as quick off the blocks as Josh Rander Flair. But he's fucking five inches taller than him and about two and a half stone heavier than him. So, and I we run into lads all the time in open play. So why don't we pick big lads who can 
maybe get well, I think game, I think like. the reason that you don't pick them is that he's never played the position at, at any serious level, if at all, and you're dropping him in to Ireland's biggest competition in four years, to put it like that. So, I mean, that, that's the first reason that you do it, like to sort but of give guys... Ireland's biggest competition? No, the World Cup I'm talking about. Yeah, but I'm talking about putting him in, in a warm-up match. I'm, I'm talking about like putting a warm-up in order to play that way in the World Cup. So might. But I think that the reason that I'd look at that is that you go, what we're doing isn't working. I'm going to shake it up. Like rather than, you know, so if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. That sort of idea of like, just keep doing the same thing that fails and like, you know, being surprised when it fails again. All those sort of ideas that you just go, oh man, screw it. Like I I, got, I have to pick a team just to shake the bejesus out of it. I want to ask you a question that I didn't prepare you for. Um, in terms of selection for this, uh, the squad for the World Cup, yeah. in terms of what we were talking about just there about... The fact that you were suggesting playing um, Tyg Byrne at seven, he was clearly um, a back row in that match against England. John Klein is going to the World Cup. Definitely. Do you think so? He's been he's been picked in both the games. First game is fucking nonsense. Doesn't matter. Well, I, I agree with you. He, he only qualified on the Thursday. He was picked on the Saturday. He was then picked again. Like, unless... I like, think... No, we, we, we talked about Tomas O'Leary playing himself off the plane. Guys can play themselves off the plane. And maybe Klein will be... The evidence will sort of suggest that he's, he's just not capable of getting international... Either playing international rugby full stop or getting up to inter, the pace of international rugby in such a short uh, runway. But I think he's gone. Well, I, I think he, he's certainly gone if you pick him for both those games. But... I could be wrong. I could be reading the leaves wrong. John Klein is a better second row than Reece Shurlock is a blindside. Uh, I don't have a good answer for that. Like I, I can't understand why you don't bring Dev, James Ryan, Hendo, Ty Byrne as, you know... Six slash four. Five slash six. Reese Shurlock as six. Uh, Peter O'Mahony as six slash seven. Josh Vanderflier is seven. Jack Conan and CJ. Sorry, to get, to, just to get back to my thing. The, the thing about this is, do you not think it's it's bad management or selection to be going? John Klein is going because he's huge and he just qualified as Irish for the rest of the squad. The rationale. And it this depends is, on the personality. This, this was this was Des's rationale behind it. So Des wrote the article about like, the Irish selection and then said Klein before, which was published before, like Jesus, it was written about six months ago, but like, you know, changed when Sean O'Brien got injured and Klein came in. And the rationale that he has about why you pick him is what happens, so you bring all your second rows, what happens if one of them is injured, um, but not that badly, but like injured, like is can't play against South Africa. Mm. Right, so so let's say you bring James Ryan Hendy and Dev Toner as your first three and then bring Ty Byrne in the second row. And what happens if Dev or Hendy, um, any one of them is injured, right? Do you, and you sort of go, Jesus, like we need to muscle up against South Africa in the last half hour. We're going to need to replace one of our two second rows. So we're going to need to bring a huge guy in order to cover like that eventuality. Because you sort of go, look, it doesn't matter who plays against Russia and Samoa. I'm going to tempt fate here, but like we're going to beat Russia and Samoa. Like we, we've got two big matches, but like we're not in a pool with Argentina and France, like England are. Like we're in a pool with 
Scotland and Japan, like everyone in Ireland thinks we should beat them, even if we're not playing well, even if they are the hosts, like we should beat both of those countries, again, to tempt fate. So then you go, right, the reason I'm bringing a panel is how can I compete against probably South Africa, possibly New Zealand in a quarterfinal match that is going to define, even if we lose one of those matches. Yeah, we only still go, one of those two matches. You still yeah. go, right, well, we're going to get through to the quarterfinal. How, what sort of squad can I have that can play against them. And it's the sort of reason, like, I think, oh, geez, I think he's going to bring Jordy Murphy. Like, Jordy's exclusively playing open side. He can play across the back row. And you just there going, no, Jordy isn't good enough to play open side against New Zealand or South Africa. So we're not going to pick him. Now, whether you agree with that or not, if if you make that call, you know, like if you're picking the team and you make that call and you go, well, he's not good enough to play open side there. Like, he's not big enough. He's not physical enough to play 80 minutes of open side against one of those teams and uh, you need to have an enormous mute in your second row. That determines that you bring John Klein. So that's that's the long answer to why yeah, I think like, is going to go. And, yeah. and the perspective that you have to bring about how you pick your how you pick your squad. Des, Des was thinking that donkeys ago. Yeah. Uh, fair play to him, you know. He was, he was fair play to him. <laughs> but he was, um, he was, you know, reading the tea leaves absolutely correctly. For me... I don't think, I think Klein is, you know, pretty tidy. Um, but I would be looking at Peter Omani as more of a an open side uh, for this. Like, I, I would certainly not bring Jordy Murphy at all in any circumstance. Uh, <clears throat> Josh van der Fleer and Peter Omani would be my two open sides sort of looking to get Peter O'Mahony to play him as an open side in one of the warm-up games and see how he goes. There's certain things he does really well. There's certain things which he is, can't do. Like, he, he's worth them and he just can't get any better. You know, he can't carry, doesn't tackle particularly well. Uh, but he's really good in the air, really good over the ball. So if he can get his work rate up to the level that it should be, uh, maybe he can play open side for us. Like he does a lot of, he does certain things really well. Um, I'm, I'm, you see, I'm I'm trying to remember which book it's in. I'm pretty sure it's in from there to here, and oh, maybe no, no, maybe maybe it's in the Irish rugby book that um, oh English English rugby. Yeah, it's very good. And he interviewed guys who were at the 2007 World Cup, and he was like, "So what went wrong?" Because you know, fellas, <laughs> fellas talk about it like that all yeah. went wrong. But and one of the things, and I think it was Bestie said it. Bestie goes, oh, "Look." Like Simon or Rory? Rory. Okay. If you weren't in, if you weren't in, yeah, um, Eddie's plans, you weren't really involved. Like you didn't really feel mm. like it was obvious that he was going to pick Jerry Flannery and he wasn't really bothered. So that that's, that's again, that matter, yeah. that's again my concern that that sort of scenario is going to happen again with Ireland because you sort of go, geez, like there's a few lads who are undroppable on the team and He's he's going to wait for themselves. He's going to wait for those guys to play themselves back into form. So so look if you look at it this if you look at it this perspective that no matter who else plays in the other warm up catches you go uh, I don't no I'm still going to pick Rory Best. I'm going to pick CJ. Still going to pick Peter Omandi. No matter how well Crow and Ty Byrne and Reese Ruddock play, it, like it, or Jack Conan and 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 Ty Byrne play, like it, it's the team is playing better. So I'll just put my guys back in. That's, I think, the biggest risk I absolutely for agree. Ireland, for, for this Irish squad at the moment, is that they're sacred cows. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. 
Some of the fans not happy with that. Going back to what you were asking then in one of your first questions, and you were going, oh, why, why are England ready? Where, where, what I was saying was like, they just played, you know, the very start of that, like, they've just played two extremely intense games against Wales, like, neither of which I actually saw. Um, but you could tell from the way I read it, what I read about them that they were, you know, they were real test matches. And they played those two games. We went to Portugal for a mm. warm weather training camp, which is like directly leading into the game. Yeah. And then I was going, like, this is going to be, this is going to be bloodshed. And then, but you're, I was also thinking to myself, well, why are England peaking now? As you made a very valid point, they have an extremely tough group with France and Argentina, who, like, no matter how shit France are, like, they'll get geared up, you know, and they'll be big and strong and be physical. So why are they ready so early when the finals in 10 weeks' well, time? Well, it's a different coach. You know, well, Eddie Jones selected his team. He selected his squad. Selected his, yeah, he has his squad picked. You know, He's like... And he was fairly rude. When you could, I can't really imagine Joe Schmidt, for example, saying about Ben Teo, Ben didn't get selected because he's not the best 31 players. Like just absolutely straightforward. Like Eddie Jones has shown since he's taken on the English shop, he has no problem burning bridges with anybody. He burns his bridges like a fucking pyromaniac. He sets out to burn bridges with people. Like they're very different personalities. Uh, like you've, you, you've been a fan of Eddie Jones as a coach the longest time i know you always just you know you were looking at his coaching videos a decade ago and saying like just this guy is a really good thinker and ruby his how he coaches how he explains things is really good like i don't i think eddie jones is like a really difficult guy very mischievous and sometimes just quite obnoxious but he's a really fucking clever rugby coach i think i think what he's doing very well with thinking because i think technically very very good rugby coach um is that he's he's given them the asshole shine he, he sort of he's made it okay like i mean so Stuart lancaster's team Stuart lancaster like if you're from leinster has been such a positive he's been such a good coach and Stuart lancaster's team was whiter than white and jones went in from the outside and looked at it and goes everyone hates playing like i'm england now like everyone hates england like we hate them as Aussies, but like so do the Welsh, so do the Irish, so do the French, so do the Kiwis. Like everyone, everyone hates them. So it's like the dirty Irish. We're gonna the scammy Welsh. Like we're gonna play. We're gonna play up to that. And like he went and made Hartley as captain. He he like he did the anti Robshaw, anti Lancaster thing. Now he picked Stuart Lancaster's team with uh, <laughs> with the Toe like, added in, Hartley's- which is an obvious one. So like I'm curious um, his his decision at scrum half to bring. Willie Hines to only bring Sick Willie. to only bring two scrum halves, one of whom is Ben Youngs, who like has a mouth and a cast. Ben Youngs has ninety, nearly. Yeah, he does. He's got ninety caps between starts and sixty nine starts or so sixty nine caps. Anyway, sub from lines, twenty one subs. Um, he's the most experienced player, uh, more experienced than Farrell, and you're sort of going, man, like. If you're playing against England, wouldn't you just tackle Ben Youngs at every available opportunity? Like he's he's such he's such an important player for them, and the guy they're bringing in has no international experience whatsoever yeah. in a, in a key position. <laughs> like it's he's not, he's the only bloke that they have, and it's not just a matter of oh, like you know we're gonna, we're gonna. You sometimes hear like fellas like geez, I'm an old fella. Like say it, oh you know I bet you they'll target him, and you kind of think oh, for fuck's sake, I was like what are they gonna do? Like. 
like a, a second row is going to get it. Like they're all enormous. All these blokes are. But you do look at Ben Youngs and you go, geez, like if you just tackle Ben Youngs as much as possible and make him get off the ground, like you're not looking yeah, to like cheap shot injure him type of thing. Now maybe you are. Like maybe I mean, you are. hit him in the leg when but, he's kicking. Because um, that does happen as well. But you sort of go like just exhaust him. So I I thought that's a very. I thought it was a risky performance. I think that the English first team is very strong. Oh, 10. Who's going to pick a 10? No, no, no. Who is like, who did he leave out Ben Spencer or Danny Kerr at number nine for? Who's the third 10? Uh, he doesn't have one. He's, so he's, he's, got, he's got, he's got pretty much two. He's got a 15. He's got a first 15. Yeah. Who um, pretty much played against us. Bar maybe. I play Farrell at 10 and play Henry Slade at center. If I was picking the England team. Um, and then he picked... Uh, Conaghy, though. Who's Conaghy? Genge and Singleton as his front row. Claire McConaughey's like a... He's a the bath winger. So he's... Winger? He's got seven's guy. He's got four centres. He's got Watson. He's got like six back three players. Um, like so, I just would have brought... If I was going to bring... If I decided, oh, these are my two out halves. I'm not going to bring Cipriani. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have said, oh, like I'm bringing Danny Kerr or Ben Spencer. Ben Spencer was the, the scrum half who played for Saracens. Yeah. Jesus, he's good. Listen, Eddie Jones, and this is from my uh, uh, Aussie mate. He's not Aussie, but lived in Aussie for ages. And he said, uh, Eddie Jones is brilliant, but eventually it always wears off. Everyone gets fucking sick of him. Oh, yeah. And it always falls apart. Wouldn't be the only and it, person and, like but, that. He might have timed it, everyone getting sick of him, to 2020, I'd say. England look really good. Yeah, they look terrible. Really good. Like, I, they were really slick against us in the Six Nations. Do you remember their first try against us in the Six Nations? It was as slick as you like. You know. Barely sat down. Unbelievably yeah. slick. Incredibly well composed from three phases out and then brilliantly executed some of their tries we gave them on a plate some of their tries were as slick as fuck and they have huge men running at pace like Manu Tuolagi I, I never thought he'd cut back to this sort of form I thought he was going to be so so compromised by injury that he'd end up like an Aroni Clark just this lumbering guy who was occasionally able to show a flash before he did a hamstring or something like that Jeez, he's he's sometimes impossible. The, the only thing is there was uh I can't remember if we broadcast this line, and it was Steve Hansen's uh terse summary about who he thought would win the match, possibly Ireland and New Zealand back in November. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or where will this match be won? Oh yeah, guys? it was the talk it was like the um, it was a forwards to side forwards in matches back to in decide by how much was it that one or was it? It was someone was like, where, where would this match be decided? to if you guys, oh, gee, five. in the front five, like, like every round. That's, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. And watching uh, Australian, Australian, New Zealand, then New Zealand, Australia, having watched New Zealand play South Africa, um, set pieces. Oh, set pieces and yeah. kicking. You're going into cup match rugby and like we're sort of talking. I'm not saying that the fact that England can score tries and like have big runners is is not going to be is not going to be relevant. But the fact that uh, you know they've only won. I don't know how good Willie Hines is as a kicker. Maybe maybe he's really good. Um, but just with this experience, the fact that like Ben Youngs is going to have to. I'd be really worried if I was English and Ben Youngs wasn't playing an hour 
Willie Hines looks gone. like an ex or current con from a 1950s American film. <laughs> I, I, so anyway, like New Zealand kicked an awful lot against which New Zealand game are you talking about? Uh, now? New Zealand against Australia. So the the one that they put thirty something points past, yeah. and like Aaron Smith did all the kicking, and they they kicked a lot and they dinked over the top a lot. They they put a lot of pressure on Curly Bale. So like the previous week, Curly Bale had looked. Like Curly Bale is amazing. Like Curly Bale is like it's a deadly rugby player because mm. he, he can play so well in so many different positions. Is he an out and out fullback? Like New Zealand put up these steeplers on him, they, and they, they they made him run. He was shit from fullback. <laughs> they put pressure on him from fullback, and he just dropped ball after ball it after was ball. Fucking appalling. And you're kind of gone. He's played a lot of fullback, and he's I played. It was he's garbage. Oh, but like he was he was dropped, and, and you, I was thinking to myself. I bet you the Aussies would like to have Rob Carney playing a fullback for, for those matches. Like who Rob, wouldn't, who wouldn't Rob Carney would defuse those. If well, I bet you they'd like to have Israel Falau playing a fullback, but that that ship is set. So, and like they turned the Aussies, the the like their their kickoffs were really good. Um, their scrum was really good. Like that, that scrum, scrum was amazing. Where like seven, seven man, seven blokes went down, and the Aussies had beat them in the scrum the previous week mm. and. Like the Kiwi lineout was good. They put a lot of pressure. They put a lot of pressure in the breakdown. Like they competed in every single breakdown. But the, the big thing, Aaron Smith's kicking yeah. was dominant. It, also, it was, Artie Savea hulking up when he runs is great as well. <laughs> like Artie Savea gave away three penalties in the in the Perth match. Perth. Yeah, it was Perth, yeah. Um and you kind of have your head in your hands going, Artie man, that's that's why you're not that's why you're not first choice. Like you're starting here. But it's why you're not like the default open side. Um, I have to say Sam Kane, who I've never really been wholly convinced by, had his best match that I can remember him play in in Auckland, playing against Australia. Mm, he's great. Um, I'm, I'm the same as you. Like I wouldn't be... I don't see what differentiates him from Todd at all. He's bigger. That's about it. Yeah. Um, but that's a big bit. That's a, um, But Jesus, Artie Savea, like when Artie Savea doesn't give away three penalties... He is just a, like an incredible runner, but it it wasn't so much the running; it was the fact that like territorially, New Zealand dominated that match, and talked about it last year with what Wales did to us and like turning that scoreboard pressure. Like New Zealand mm-hmm. just applied pressure, pressure, pressure. And what really hit me about that match was that I think we I think we talked about this a bit last year about the All Blacks is that they they just go out like the way the Hanson has them playing is that they have their there are two receivers at like a 10 and 15. That, that's kind of the way they've really developed that role. And they play their 2-4-2 and they run straight and they pass slickly and, you know, they can they can offload really well. And they just keep doing that. And it's a matter of, of like when it breaks. And they didn't play like that against Australia. Like all those facets of their game are still there. But they went out with an expressly tactical way of playing against Australia and they targeted that match and having played in the previous week they said we are going to do exactly this like we are going to be incredibly focused and like they ripped them apart and you're sort of going Jesus I can't I can't look I can't remember the betting for all the the World Cups but like New Zealand are not odds on for this and I'm kind of looking at it going that is a good bet because oh they're savage on their day on everybody's day New They're Zealand, the best. New Zealand are the best. But yeah. I was thinking of what you said about scoreboard pressure there, because if you recall the game, like 20 minutes in, Australia were, I I felt, edging it. They got over the line. Yeah, over the and, line. Uh, Leila Fanon. Big second row. Yeah, Fan- oh, missed two kicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Fanned one yeah. off the post and missed like two very gettable kicks. Yeah. They had no reward for... It was not a 36-0 game. 
at halftime, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Like Australia were outstanding in the first game. And then, you know, they started off really well in the second game. Ireland started off reasonably well against England there. But um, both sides have sort of, Ireland have recently developed a bit of a glass chin. Crumple reflex. Yeah. Crumple reflex. Is that from cars? No. Glass chin is from boxing. But like if you consider our game against England at the start of the Six Nations, like when we went behind, we looked like a team. um, We fought back. Yeah, that was we, a one try game with seven points at half time. Yeah, we both remember when we went down in a half, halfway through the second half, we scored, they scored two tries in quick succession, and we were like, oh, including Sexton throwing a weird pass. And then against Wales, we completely collapsed. And against England this time, we collapsed. We look like we've a bit, we're, we look like we're a bit punchy. Well, I, I think that the England match was, was so bad, but if I was to try to get over my disappointment from it, Mm. that um, first of all first of all yeah first of all our our set pieces were were dreadful our our line in particular like that and that that meant that we we couldn't put any pressure on them because when we did get down their territory we we couldn't keep we couldn't get the ball and it was our ball and we just give it away right so I think that I think that killed us I also think that there was the signs in the first 15, 20 minutes that we were trying to play a more ambitious, wider offloading game. Uh, Is that sign? I, I feel really un- uncomfortable. Like when Rob Carney started passing the ball, yeah. started looking to pass and tackles, you're sort of going, geez, like he's expressly looking to do that. I'm playing, he's as, been told playing as a receiver. And the problem about it was that we were doing, we were, we were playing a lot of rugby a long way from their line. Now, one of the hallmarks of Joe Schmidt's teams is that they keep the ball extremely well. So you're sort of going, like, if I pick a load of guys who are going to work really hard, populate rooks really well, and, like, we will take more risks. And, like, this is the way that we're going to play. You sort of go, okay, this is good. But then, um, because we didn't have the ball, we still we still played that way. And, we did, Jesus, did we even? Like, some of the guys put in really good kicks. Like, uh, Larmer put in a really good kick, Grubert along. And, and we turn them, but geez, we just couldn't get the So again, like you go back and you go, if your set pieces are shocking, like you're really stuck. Yeah. I think the thing about the Irish, it was just, it was so limp. It's it's the worst. Like go back to the quarterfinal thing. We lose a glorious quarterfinal against New Zealand. People aren't going to be worried about the fact that it's another quarterfinal. Like you'll get the usual shite sayers, but like most people would be there going, that was the best match I've seen in ages. Like I got up at eight in the morning. I'm absolutely exhausted by 10. I'm really disappointed that we lost, but man, it was heroic. If we limp out against South Africa in a match decided by penalties and drop goals, we'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake, this always fucking yeah. happens. I fucking hate the World Cup.